Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for hanging around. Thanks for spending some time here with me and my guest today. Hey, so speaking of my guest today, my guest is Noemi Courtois. Now, luckily, during this interview, she allowed me to call her by her nickname, which is No-No, because uh, I'm sure I would mess up the name at some point, but Noemi Courtois. She is a graphic designer and actually the head of experimentation at Two Times Elliot out of London, England. Now, I'm just going to tease the episode just a little bit, and then I'm going to stop talking and get right into it, because you're going to want to hear from her. So during this episode, we talk about a little Father's Day project that she did way back in the day. We also reminisce on potato stamps. If you don't know, now you know. She then shares with us a story about a drag queen photo book that she put together, and uh, that's a funny story. We also then get into a little bit about a smoked book. Yes, you heard that right. I said a smoked book. Fascinating. And then the deep dive. The deep dive in this episode is into all-natural deodorant packaging for a luxury brand uh, over in the UK. And uh, I'll let her tell the rest of that story, but they worked on the rebrand for it and had to source containers and materials and all that kind of jazz. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to this one. My fabulous guest today, Nono from Two Times Elliot. Hit the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Good morning, or should I say good afternoon, Nono. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast. Um, are you excited? you feeling ready to go here? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a really nice way to end the Friday. Yeah, end of Friday. So it's 8.15 in the morning for me, which is like 4.15 for you over there in London. Exactly. Yeah, so you're ready to wrap it up for the weekend. Exactly. Can't wait, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the beer you just opened, and you're ready to rock. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to have my first, sit, my first sip in live. Awesome. Um, well, I'm going to start off by kicking this right over to you and asking you one of the toughest questions on here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> um, so my name is Nono. I am from Brussels originally in Belgium. Um, grew up there, studied there, then moved to Amsterdam to continue studies in design. Um, I moved quite around a lot, actually. I moved from Amsterdam to San Francisco, and then I ended up falling in London um, to where I started to work, really. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so the mo- what's the most exciting place you've lived out of all the places? Um, I have to say probably Amsterdam. Yeah, not, for the reason, not for the reason you think, though. <laughs> but I was lucky enough to be in, a, in an art school that was really, really... Um, 
experimental, mm. so to speak. Uh, and my whole bubble of people around me were really like inspiring people. So the whole experience of me living there was really interesting. Um, probably got to experience some, I don't know, just n- nice people, nice parties, just a nice, nice way of life. Um, being obviously broke as well, you know, when you're studying, you don't really have much money. But that was a, a very nice and interesting part of it as well. That's cool. Now, Amsterdam has been mentioned on uh, my other podcast, The Quickie, a few times um, from people mm-hmm. who have lived there as sort of a little bit inspirational to them in their design direction from architecture and just like the feeling of the the town. It's very, it, it encourages creativity. Did you find the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the, the place itself is just really beautiful. You can't deny that. And it's, I think that's just the way of living there is, at a different pace than everywhere else, like experience mm-hmm. living. Um, you know, just the simple fact that everything's on bicycle, like you cycle everywhere you go. You don't take transport. Um, even to go out, it can rain, it can snow, it can be a storm. You're still on your site, on, you're still cycling. And just that as a way of life is just really peaceful. And I think there's not, I didn't feel that much the pressure of, commercial projects or you know i didn't necessarily feel the pressure of like a city like i have it in london here mm-hmm. uh it felt really peaceful to live yeah yeah peaceful i think is the correct word but then also i think there is something with the dutch uh institutions that's very interesting is that they really value the culture um and there is a consequent m- amount of money and you know grant for people, studio artists, to actually develop their work within the cultural field, something that is kind of rare in other places as That's well. Cool. Or there, is, there is always, I mean, a certain amount of money for these kind of uh, professions, but I feel like the Netherlands are really um, focused on it, yeah. That's cool. I like to hear that. And, and that echoes similar things that I've heard about, um, you know, the Netherlands areas is that, you know, there's just this focus on creativity and grants and encouragement based all around mm. it, which is, you know, unique and different from other parts of the world where it's almost looked at as hobbies instead of professions. And it's, oh, yeah, it's exactly. Just, yeah, it's really unique there. Um, so I want to dive into a little bit of print talk here, no, no. And I want to ask you, what is your earliest memory of print or packaging? Something from your childhood, something from your teens, maybe your favorite Barbie if you went there. Like what was <laughs> something, uh, what's your earliest memory of print or packaging? I mean, it's going to be a bit cheesy, but I think the first thing I can even remember is just doing some, you know, Mother's or Father's Day cards. Uh, I had this teacher uh, he told us to make um, potato stamps. <laughs> and uh, and uh, obviously, I don't think it was very artistic, but uh, just carving all these potatoes and using it as stamps, um, that was first, that, that, yeah, that's my first memory. But on a more serious note, I think, I don't know, I think probably in high school was my first ever project mm-hmm. related to print. Um, it was pretty cool because I was, Studying, I don't know how it works for you guys uh, overseas, but in Europe, or at least in Belgium, uh, when you're in high school, you can choose kind of like a, what would you call that? A major, something similar to that. Um, okay. And I choose the arts. Um, and so you were doing all sorts of wacky stuff. But uh, one of our art classes was photography. And so 
the project of the year. Bear in mind, I was only 15, but the project of the year was like, would you have to choose someone with a passion? So I don't know how I came to that, but I chose a drag queen. <laughs> and, <Nice>. so, <laughs> and so I had to break the news to my dad that I will go to uh, clubs at night on the weekend on my own at 15 years old, take pictures of drag queen doing her show. <laughs> and nice. uh, Yeah, bless him because he, really, he came with me and waited for me in front of the club while I was taking the pictures. Then the nice thing about it is that we have the, um, how do you call that in English? Um, a dark room in our school. So we could develop all these pictures ourselves because it was all analog. Yeah. And then making a book with it. I think that was really my first ever interaction with, you know, or yeah, my first step in the world of book and printmaking. That's so fun. Yeah. So I, now at 15 years old, going to a club, like that isn't like, like, like hearing that about like Europe is a different thing than hearing about that. Like in the US, like in the US, if mm. a 15 year old got into a club, like it makes the news the next day and it's this huge oh, yeah. deal, right? Where in Europe, that was like less common because there's less restrictive drinking ages and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, to be clear, I wasn't allowed to drink in there either. No, no. Um, but I just happened to know that drag queen from a friend and because it was like a friend of her family or something like that. And okay. so I was invited for photography purposes. I wasn't just, I just didn't arrive at the door of the club, knocked and be like, hey, can I come in? Like <laughs> I was on the list as like a press if you want. Um, yeah. So it's a different approach, but no, I didn't get drunk <laughs> <laughs> got it so you didn't like show up and the bouncer was like what's up no no, no you can go in no it was organized <laughs> <laughs> organized fashion that's a cool one so taking all these photos of this the drag queen thing now what was your dad's response when he said hey dad i've got this project and here's what i picked well i was really lucky enough that i to have a very supportive family uh, yeah you know like my grandfather was also in the arts, so it's something that, I mean, my dad, not at all, but my grandfather was also in the arts, so I guess it's like a a common topic in the family, so he's, he knows it can work uh, as a mm -hmm. profession, so he was supporting me, but I don't think we really discussed the special, the specifics of it. Like, he didn't come <laughs> with me, he was waiting in the car in front of the club just to make sure everything was fine, uh, but he didn't come with me, we didn't really, I don't remember speaking about it with him. Well, you let me do my thing, you know, which was really nice of you. That's cool. Mm. Um, now, that is some cool projects. And as soon as you mentioned potato stamps, like <laughs> I literally hadn't thought of potato stamps or even fruit. I remember doing it with apples as well. Mm. Like I hadn't thought of that since, since elementary school. I know. <laughs> you said that and immediately brought me back to cutting stamps in potatoes and like stamping stuff and Christmas cards and things like that. Exactly. <laughs> So cool. I think I'm going to ask my kids to do that as an art project today. Potato Ooh. stamps. <laughs> That's awesome. You also have this other stuff that I really like to do. You know, when you take a coin and then you put a piece, a piece of paper on top and yep. you start drawing with the pencil and then you, you print the coin, essentially. Yeah. I just... I used to love to do that. <laughs> I did too. And okay. So take fast forward to being an adult and a year and a half ago, uh, I think about a year and a half ago in April, my oh. family, we traveled to Ireland and we were mm -hmm. staying in Dublin for a couple of days and we did a loop around Ireland. Um, but in Dublin, the, the main cathedral there, St. Is it St. Mary's St. Patrick's? Oh, don't ask me. 
I'm really bad with this oh, kind of this knowledge. Is, this is bad. It's like it's literally world famous. I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, it's the most like the most famous cathedral, historical cathedral in London. Um, not in London, sorry, in Dublin. We go in and they've got sort of like the church area, and then they've got like the tourist area. So mm. in the tourist area, they have these pieces of papers, and then they have all of these brass figures down on the table. And what you're supposed to do is you take this blank paper, put it over top of these brass carvings and Mm -hmm. color in with like the side of a crayon or something. And just like that coin effect, it brings the image out onto the paper. And I was fascinated with this thing that I did like 10 or 12 of these things. And I brought them home with me from Mm -hmm. Dublin. (laughs) So I still have this. So that's cool, man. This is a nostalgic episode already. I mean, the thing is, like, this thing is probably a, a fast and economic way of doing lithoprinting, you know. Yeah. Like, ultimately, that's what it is, lithoprinting, except yeah. that it's done for, like, mass printing purposes, whereas this is just, like, the little everyday man lithoprinting process. Yeah. <laughs> everyday man lithoprinting. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Nono, what about recently? Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that really stood out to you or that you really enjoyed? Um, not, I wouldn't say it's recent, but it's definitely something that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably been three, four years ago. Again, it was in Amsterdam. Um, they have the State Lake Museum, which is the contemporary art museum. And okay. they used to run, I mean, they probably still do it, but they used to run book fairs there, you know, art book fairs specifically. And there was this book that I picked that... The, first of all, the smell was so intense in the whole room. And I was like, what the hell is this? It smelled like there must have been a fire somewhere or something. <laughs> um, and then I picked that book and it was a photography book about bushfires. I don't remember if it was Australia or California, one of those two. Um, That's so like meta. The air smells like fire and you pick up the fire book. Well, yeah, probably I got attracted to it from the smell, right? But then... Uh, Everything with that, with that book was so coincident. And the smell is because they actually smoked the book <laughs> in a smoker. No way. Uh, yeah. And I was so, I, I just remember being blown away. I was like, this is insane. This is amazing. Because the whole book itself was obviously a really beautiful piece of work. Everything was so considered, like, you know, the choice of paper, the printing technique. But then the fact that they went so far away to smoke the book was just like what the hell is this this is amazing (laughs) yeah it takes you know you're looking at a book and your brain assumes i'm going to have a tactile experience and a visual Mm. experience with this thing Mm. and then as soon as you touch it you're like wait a second my smell is now involved with this Mm. and it just takes it to a whole nother level yeah totally um I mean, obviously, I wouldn't recommend doing that with every book. But <laughs> no, no, no. Don't say that. No, no. Everybody should be smoking their books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Smoking it, maybe. But imagine, I don't know. You don't want a book that smells like, I don't know, sausages. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a sausage book. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it was amazing. I always regretted not buying it, to be honest. I should have bought it. But yeah. Do you remember what it was called? No, but I can look by? it up. No, it was a small editor. Uh, I'm sure I can find it out. Um, okay. I completely forgot, but yeah, I'll be able to find it. If I remember the year of the book show, I must be able to find it. Awesome. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So you know, th- that little bit of conversation just ties really nicely into this next question about what you think makes print so special 
to designers because I've interviewed hundreds of designers and all of them love print and collect print, whether mm-hmm. it's packaging on products they buy or just cool books or whether it's their iPhone box that they want to hang on to it. What, what do you think designers like about print? Why? Well, I mean, we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but, you know, I think ultimately it's the, it's the tactile aspect of it. It's the fact that it's an object that you can hand, and that's especially true nowadays where most of designers work on digital, either do digital work or, or, or work through computers, and that's where you spend most of your time. So I think the idea of creating something that's going to end up being physical that you can hold is a very nice thought for designers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also the whole interaction with it. You know, you as we said, you engage with all your senses. It's like the touch, the eyes, the smell. Like we talked about the fire smell, but then just opening a, a book that's brand new is already a very... I know that everybody I know really finds it so exciting to open a new book because it smells great. You know. Yes. And then when you just make, when you just print something, it's like, it's warm and it's just, I don't know, it's not like all these senses aspects to it that are really important. Um, and then on top of that, I think it's also, as you said, it's the idea that it's, uh, it's collectible. So it's kind of like, whether you make it or whether you buy it, it's the trace of something that has existed at some point that you can either keep or put in your shelf or whatever it is. But it's the idea of like collecting it and having a physical little something to keep yeah yeah no i couldn't agree more and i i know i i knew that i couldn't be the only one that gets a book and i almost i I feel it but then you open it up and you really get your nose in there like you really Mm. got it you gotta smell it no totally i love that um so we've already kind of answered a couple of the next questions. So I'm going to hop right over to um, sort of a tougher question that takes you to maybe a project that you don't really want to remember, but I want you to remember <laughs> and tell me about. Um, have you ever been part of a print project that didn't turn out as you had hoped, didn't go well, went sideways somehow? Um, can you tell us about that project and your experience with it? Sure. I mean, the thing is, in the end of the day, we had some obstacle with that project, but mm-hmm. we managed to put it back on track. It's not right. necessarily that it uh, failed. It's just that on the way, some stuff didn't work out. And as, our, as part of our job as designer, you need to solve these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can think of this project um, called ACT, that is a brand we worked at the studio. Okay. Uh, I, wanted, I, I can talk about this project more detail later, actually, but... To reply to your question, I think so. Act is a natural, organic deodorant brand, um, okay. and they really wanted to push the sustainability aspect as well. So, mm-hmm. with that in mind, obviously, you know, uh, in terms of production, that means you have to be really conscious with the decision you're making and what Definitely. kind of packaging are you going to do, what kind of printing are you going to use, the the finishes and all these things. Um, and I think one of the first burdens we had is like, because it is a sustainable brand, uh, we went through the route of having aluminum tubes for the deodorant. So because the okay. deodorant specificities, it's like, it, it works as a balm. So it's not a roll-on, it's not a spray, it is a balm. Um, and to contain the balm, we just came up with this tube, aluminum tube as a solution. But believe it or not, it's impossible to find uh, caps for the tubes that are not without plastic. 
So that was, uh, I mean, it's going very specific here. But basically, we in the end ended up having to have a custom-made cup to fit the tube so that it would fit the health and regulation, safety, all these things that you need to take, you know. Uh, but that still would be aesthetic because you had options, but then it would be cork, and we didn't want it to go down the cork route um, yeah. and all this. And then the second issues we had with it as well is, like, the first print draft didn't work because, um, I mean, obviously all this is down to budgets. Um, it's often down to budget, all these issues that you come you encounter in a project. But yeah. what we've had was that um, we, did, we weren't able to test it before uh, for budgetary reasons. So we just had to be faithful that <laughs> it would work. And it didn't because people came back to the client saying that the tubes were leaking and, you know, the balm was squeezing everywhere else, but from where it was supposed to. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. So, but then that being said, then they came back to us and we tried to find a solution. So we worked on finding better tubes. And then when they had the budget for it, we did another print run for the boxes with like better quality paper, uh, and better quality printing techniques. And so we solved it. But these are, yeah, probably a part of everyday design jobs that can be frustrating, but um, managed to like put it back on track, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you were looking for a design solution for a container and mm. all of the available caps for the container just didn't hit the right mark, whether that be aesthetically or budget or mm. sort of eco-friendly aspect of it, just none, nothing ticked the box. So you needed to create a custom solution. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just we were really surprised on how impossible it was to find something without plastic in terms of caps because they existed but then they always had this kind of plastic seal you know like if you buy anything like if you buy a toothpaste tube you always have this little seal you have to take off and mm -hmm. it's plastic so it was just really hard to find anything without it so yeah yeah that is hard trying to source new materials and create mm. sort of that custom packaging definitely a, a tough challenge no totally and i mean we get more and more clients within the sustainable uh realm which is normal it's that's what a brand should start looking at doing more and more you know um yeah. so it makes sense that we get more and more a demand like this um but I feel like that's kind of interesting because I think now it's getting better, but the production markets or like printers or sources, it's not that developed and expanded. Like you don't have that much option yet um, yeah. for creating something that's completely sustainable. Yeah, um, I mean, you're right. In in the print world, it is tough to, there's two things. It's tough to really find the right materials um, and the processes in order to sort of tick those environmental boxes. But mm. the other side of that is that when you do find those materials, most of the time they're prohibitively expensive Oh yeah, totally, for, yeah. for a customer to, to do, which is mm -mm. almost contradictory to the direction we want the whole market and the world to go in this sort of more environmentally friendly, planet friendly direction. Mm -mm. But it costs so much money that it's hard to make a profitable product using that direction. Yeah, totally. And that's why I think, I mean, in my opinion, uh, as a brand starting, I would focus on maybe delivering less options, but focusing on one thing that really ticks the boxes 
Then mm -hmm. once budget is raised from that, then you go on and develop the range of whatever you want to do, right? Yeah. Uh, I think often is the, the problem. Maybe it's brands want to do too much too soon. <laughs> I mean, not <laughs> all of them, obviously, but especially sure. in, like, the whole sustainable um, ticking boxes. Um, yeah. It's really tricky. It really is tricky. I don't know how it is over there for you guys overseas, but I mean, obviously there's more and more resources, but it's, it takes longer and it costs more money. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt. So, no, no, now I want to do a deep dive into a print project. This is where we're going to take one or two projects that you have been a part of and, and go over them in as much detail as possible from, um, you know, customer and how the project came to be to the budget and the costs of these things to the quoting mm -hmm. process, paper selection, material selection, um, quantity. So, so tell me a story. Well, I guess... I'm on it, so I'd like to keep talking about this ACT um, project. Yeah. So, as I mentioned before, ACT is this deodorant um, that's natural and organic. Um, they approached us for a rebrand and a renaming slash repositioning. Mm -hmm. um, their story is quite nice. They're two guys that used to work in the London West End. So, if you don't know what it is, it's like the theatre industry uh, mm -hmm. over here in London. Um, and, you know, they were really frustrated by how the other festival that exists are full of crap, um, full of stuff that are really not healthy for you. They are horribly unsustainable because it's mostly of like shit tons of plastic. And also it doesn't work. And I think that was their main problem. So they started to create this thing in the kitchen and eventually started to, you know, they, they were really well connected within the world of the theater and like the show business. So they started to test their products um, and then they came to us to actually develop the brand around it. Um, and so we kind of naturally based the whole concept around the world of theater. Uh, I can show you, I mean, I don't know. I'll send you some pictures. I think it would be cool. Easier. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, but basically, that's how the name ACT came from, you know, like AKT. Um, and then I think, yeah, there was something we wanted to do, something a little bit more unexpected of what you would expect from natural organic brand. Right? Yep. Especially within cosmetic, this brand, they always tend, not always, but they used to tend to always go down a very like soft, natural route, you know, really terribly and we really wanted to do something different and a little bit more bold i guess um so you know the theater boards the i think they're called marquees right the marquee theater boards whatever they're called oh yeah yeah, like, yeah 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 the, yeah. Sign, yeah the signage the signage exactly yeah. so these work to like single with letter blocks that you can slide in and you know and that's how you make your announcement of whoever is planning playing that night um oh yeah we didn't do the website by the way so maybe that's not the best place to look at this project <laughs> i was like well, there's got to be product photos up here somewhere but that's all right um you can look you know on our instagram um okay i was yeah but so basically yeah we got inspired by this theater signs um and the whole typographic system where we basically yeah. created the typographic system to be inspired from that and uh, kind of mimic that way of, you know, this let single with letter block. So cool. naturally that's how we came about that. I mean, I might have a picture here actually. Am I allowed to grab it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. yeah one sec. Yeah. 
I don't have the tubes, but I have like some of the boxes. So, you know, yeah, what I mean. so we can talk about it with the props there. Do you know what I mean? With like the, this kind of like sliding in and like. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a small amount of what we've done, but they're here on the table. <laughs> That's cool. So you've developed this typographic system, this visual system. Now yeah. when you're, this is, so this is two parts, really. You create, you also, you sourced um, the actual tube for the product, but you also looked for sort of that retail folding carton for the product as well. So, well, not only, we, they, they came to us with the product. I mean, they, yeah. had, they knew they had, the, not even the product, but the solution, like the balm. Um, but that's basically it. So we came up with the name, the strategy, the copywriting, you know, like how do they speak to their audience, um, cool. uh, their socials, the packagings. Didn't do the website, but, you know, uh, everything you can imagine from a brand, um, we, 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 yeah, that's what we created in our visual identity systems. Got it. So obviously that's where it started before you get into any sort of packaging design. I mean, you have exactly. to create, create the visual system that you're going to be using for the packaging. Um, exactly. So then when you get into this process, then tell me about, um, first off, the, the aluminum tube. Like, Give me a brief bit about where you even start looking for something like that for a customer. So the thing is, like, we work – so there's different way of doing this. We, for this specifically, worked closely with the client, so they were responsible to source these. We weren't. Okay. We, you know, so we come up with ideas uh, and suggestions, and if they like it, they are the one that will look on how to, like, I mean, production-wise achieve this. Not design-wise, not from a visual perspective or anything, more from like a, a business side of things. They were the one in charge of that. So that's not something that we really had to deal with, to be honest. But okay. some projects, we have, we work pretty closely with a production company that's kind of like um, under the two times Elliot umbrella. And that really is helpful because they work with us closely from initial stages, especially more so now than ever since we're like repositioning the studio. They're really going to be a part of our early concept concept stages to make sure, you know, the whatever we have in mind is doable and also help clients and guide them really. Mm-hmm. Got it. So then where you guys really came in after the visual identity system was with that packaging design, the folding carton design yeah. and getting artwork together for that and making sure yeah. that that's structured. So let's, let's dive into that and, and chat a little bit about um, how you sort of spec that. How did you pick the, the papers? What went into that? Like what went into the color decisions? And it looked like on the sample you showed me there, you had foil stamping on that. Like what, why foil stamping yeah. instead of printing? Like what was the thought process behind that package? So, I mean, obviously the color choice yeah. is depending of the whole visual identity system and the yeah. design we came up with, right? So I guess that's the thing. We, As I mentioned earlier, we wanted to stay away from something that felt kind of soft and very obviously eco-friendly and natural because that's the thing with like sustainable or eco-friendly brands. Less so nowadays, but... You know, uh, still, it tends to always be this kind of greeny or like earth 
earthy colors. And yeah. when you look at now, that was our concept, that was our point of opinion. It's like when you look at nature, it's really colorful. <laughs> so that's how we actually started to look at this. Like orange is it's orange. It's not light. I don't know salmon color. You know, and it's like lavender. <laughs> it's like it's really bright. It's this really bright blue. So I guess that's how we naturally selected the colors. And then to reply to a question of uh, for the paper, well, then I guess it's more of a job of trying to find a paper that would match the color that we selected before. And so it's more of a matching job and then looking at the suppliers and how do we know that I have a paper that is similar to, or like not even similar, like almost identical to the color we selected. Um, yeah. So that's how we selected. But then also for the paper choice, obviously there is again the sustainability aspect. So you need to choose a paper that's really colorful, but then also respectful in these ticket boxes. So yeah, I guess that's how we selected this specific um, paper. That's cool to hear. And I did not, I couldn't tell just um, from seeing it on the screen, but so you're saying that rather than printing those bold colors, that's the color of the paper and you guys worked with it that. Is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's Very not, cool. The, the text is foiled, but the yeah. box, the, the flat is paper. It's not print. I yeah. love that. I love that. And I encourage people to use colored papers for packaging so often. I mean, and it comes up the most when you're talking to a customer about using who wants a really dark, whether it's black or a dark blue box, you know, having to explain to them that here's the reason we suggest this colored paper, because as soon as this is die cut, you've got a bunch of white edges around this thing and it's going to take away from that aesthetic, right? Exactly. Yeah, totally. but when you're using a colored paper, it's that color throughout. So all of the edges are that color. It's it's seamless, that color. And it just drastically elevates the brand feel. Well, exactly. And then I think that's why, and that's something I'm trying to do more and more now. It's like instead of, I mean, I'm not too sure how, every designer works in their own way, but I know that for us when we develop identities, I used to tend to choose colors and then later down, later at the later stage, choose paper that would match, but it's not always possible. So, no, I'm no. trying to do both at the same time, you know, try find a <laughs> paper that match what I want. So I'm sure I'm kind of like in a safe zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you don't get too far down the line and go, I love this color, but I can't find a single paper that matches it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So what papers did you end up landing on for that? I think, uh, I forgot the name, but it's from this a UK-based company called Fenner Paper. Okay. Um, they are local. And, yeah, and we just happen to have some samples from them. Um, and their color paper range is sustainable. FSC, I don't know how you call all this in, over there overseas, yep. but... Yeah, you know, FSC, EFC. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very cool. Okay, so when you are planning these things, you're all you also taking foil swatches and matching it up with the colored papers and just trying to get those complementing colors. Sorry, repeat that. Yeah. So when you have, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. (laughs) So when you have your colored paper selected, and you know that Mm -hmm. you want to foil stamp these. Are you then yeah. getting foil swatches and trying to match up and find complementing foils for the colored paper? 
Uh, no, so we're only foiled in black. So that was relatively simple, <laughs> you know, like nice. black foil is, yeah, <laughs> I was, uh, to be honest, very an easy job to m- match the foil because it's just black. <laughs> just the yeah. last black foil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think initially we had it printed. I might yeah. be wrong because we did another print run. Uh, um, but then obviously there is something to consider as much as there is the sustainability aspect coming into play. It's also a very more premium product. So if you think about a premium product, obviously what you get needs to reflect the price point. And yes. so if you get just a, a cheap paper box that doesn't hold that with a leaking tube, it's not going to reflect and it's not going to justify the price point and mm-hmm. also the image of the brand. So I think to some extent, and some processes are sometimes, not always, but sometimes necessary to, you know, elevate your product. Yes. And I'm glad you said that because I, I always want to mention this as often as I can, is that the the packaging, the, your, the presentation of your brand in print, whether that's a business card or a box in a retail environment, it has to align with the brand values, with the brand perception that you're going for. Like you just said, if you have a really luxury product in this aluminum tube and it's all natural and the price point is high, but they pick up the box and the box is so flimsy that it doesn't even retain its shape and it's just printed and it smudges or whatever it is, immediately that gets put back on the shelf and like that's overpriced. Even if the product is worth that. Yeah, totally. And... I think that's why it's, it's it's good to find clients that trust you. I think it's all coming down to that, right? Because yeah. obviously, not always, but clients, and fair enough, don't always understand that aspect of things. Um, no. And that's when, you know, it's, it's just really nice to find people you can trust and that can trust you um, to do all these decisions. Yes, agreed. That trust is so important, especially when you're coming to them with an idea that they hadn't thought of or or that they were, you know, you think that they're going to be uneasy about. The trust there is so much more important because you can say, look, I'm suggesting we use this orange paper. And they can think, what orange paper? I never thought of that. Look, why would we use orange paper? Mm. But they trust you. So you can get that across. Yeah, totally. Awesome. So you created this beautiful packaging. How many boxes did they produce? Do you know? Oh, God, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know the specifics, uh, to be honest with you. I think that, Got it. you know, yeah. And did you do any know. of the, um, any of like the, the press checks or bindery checks when they were doing the foil stamping? Like, did you go into the print shop at any part of the process here? So sometimes we do for this again. Uh, it's more of a budget um, obstacle. Some clients yes. have the budget run uh, test print uh, proof, as we call it, and some clients don't. So with them, the first print run, uh, we didn't have the budget to do a, a test print. Um, so we went with that. But then you know they came back to us, and then after that we managed to redo it and you know, sending on a batch that was up to standards and was working well and printed well as well. But we did have some issues, like, you know, I don't know if you're going to see, but there is this little, uh, no, you can't even see with the light, but there's this little debuff there. Um, oh, yeah, I can kind of see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it worked 
well on these ones, but the first print were on retained, you couldn't even see it. So like they had all these little issues to fix on the second print run. Um, but we didn't do a test print. So obviously these things are going to happen. It's kind of, sometimes if you're really lucky, you can hit uh, all, the, all the marks, but it's kind of rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually there is a little bit of that sort of testing and tuning. And it's hard to catch everything like before you, mm-hmm. you get into it. So um, the last question about that project that I want to dive into is what, mm-hmm. I mean, since this was like a complete brand refresh and sort of an initial launch, what was the the result of this packaging, of this beautiful design system you put together for them? Um, obviously they're very happy with it. Are they selling product? Is it is it going well for them? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the... Um numbers um but i know that the, that's the good thing it's like it's really gratifying and rewarding to see a brand doing really well and yes there's the, this thing first of all i think it's really nice that it stands out from other naturally organic cosmetic brands in the shelf in shops uh, and now we managed to create something so honorable and different for deodorant. Like you would see that in shop, you wouldn't think it's deodorant. You know what I mean? No. Uh, and the, the second thing is also that they're doing really well. Like I think they got voted best deodorant of the year in Vogue, uh, Bazaar UK, and Esquire UK. Um, wow. So obviously it must be doing well. Like I, I don't know the, the specific of the number, but mm. um, judging from all their awards, I would think that they're doing pretty well. <laughs> and see, here's the thing too with, with brands is there's no way that a magazine like, you know, Bizarre and Vogue, and there's no way they would put them in that magazine or do an article about them if A, it wasn't a great product and mm-hmm. B, it didn't look beautiful. They would not take not something that looks ugly, even if it's a great product and put it in the magazine and give it that extra publicity. Well, I think there's also something that's really important is like they also as a brand trying to challenge, not, I mean, not, not necessarily challenge in like such a, a big way, but they do ch- try to challenge just the way people think, first of all, about the other and like, you know, it's a different thing thing to have a deodorant in a barn, but then also to try to be sustainable and try to be good and create a product that actually doesn't contain anything nasty and it's not bad for the planet. It's just really rewarding to see brands that do good do well. Mm-hmm. Love that. And that's where, you know, I really encourage brands, like it's expensive to do, you know, to, to create really good design systems it's expensive to create beautiful packaging but Mm. the benefits of it are tremendous yeah absolutely awesome so from your first meeting with these guys to holding a finished box in your hand what's that timeline like um good question i mean it's hard to say because obviously, you know, as I mentioned, we had the first print run. They sold some of their product and they came back. We did another print run. So the whole timeline, I mean, I started working on this in June last year. So not this yeah. June, but the June last year. Um, 
And I think the first launch must have been around mm, October of last year. Okay. Right now, we're not really doing anything specific for them, although we do some stuff like our direction and stuff like that. So I think it's an ongoing relationship we have with them. So it would be kind of hard to reply to that question because it's not necessarily that it's finished and it's behind us. I think that's the good thing as well as when brands come back to us and it kind of like turn into a partnership. I yeah. mean, not a partnership, but you know, like they just come back for, for your services really. Yeah, definitely. They, they, again, it goes back to that trust. They trust yeah, you. Exactly. So they want to continue working with you and want your opinion and feedback Um even a, pay, a paid opinion and feedback for the other projects mm-hmm. and things that they're planning and working on. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Okay. So the next thing I want to ask you, Nono, is what advice would you give a designer who is wanting to get into print or is really new to print, but just wants to get started in print design? What should they do first? What, what advice would you give them? <laughs> um, that's hard. I mean, probably to leave their computers. <laughs> you know, like I said, like I would. I know that I really got into it because I had the thing for book fairs. So yeah. I used to go to so many art book fairs, and what I find great about it is you see so much printed outcomes done in so many different ways. Uh, you know, different printing technique, different binding, different, I mean, visually, and obviously like the content of those books is always very interesting and fascinating. But um, for someone that would want to do that, I would say don't look online, just go go in libraries, go in book fairs, go wherever you like and collect these things, you know. Um, even if it's just a, a shitty flyer that you found on the street, but you like it, just keep these things, uh, I think. I would say, yeah, get hands-on, um, this stuff, do potato stamps. <laughs> but, but I would say, yeah, try to stay away from the computer. That's what I would say. Awesome. Great advice. So, no, no, I want to wrap up here with the ask the audience question. This is where we create a Instagram tile for this. We post it up on our Instagram where we've got a group of designers, some of them already doing print. Some of them just love the idea of doing print. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the question doesn't have to be print related, but you can, uh, what kind of question would you like to sort of ask this community of designers? God. Would you um, ever smoke a book, maybe? Would you ever smoke a book in Amsterdam? <laughs> <laughs> in Amsterdam. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I probably. I mean, it's probably going to be a book-related question. What I want to say, okay, what's the book in your collection that gets you excited? I guess that's what I want to ask. I Not like what necessarily that. inspires you, but what gets you excited? You know, I think that would be it. Because I don't know, I have this book in my shelf. That are fun and like, um, how do you say like, um, what do you call these? Um, they call like, oh, a boot sale, you know, a car boot sale. Yep. And like a yard sale, whatever. Um, and I was like 50p, and it's this book, this really, this 80s book about jewelry, and it's just photography of these really tacky red diamonds but this really gets me excited because it just the whole printing and the whole like colors and photography style and the design everything is wrong about it but also very exciting to look at that's <laughs> so cool I guess, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. I'm going to be asking that question. And no, no, you've reached the end of the print design podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today and doing a deep dive Perfect. into this act packaging with us. Thanks for having me and having the studio as well. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for hanging around and listening to this awesome episode. So much print talk in here. Now, I guess can't get over the whole smoked book concept. Can you imagine like um, a, a cookbook specifically for barbecue that has great photography, great recipes, feels really nice in the hand, but smells like a smoker, smells like ribs? Gosh, that would be just wild. Think of the headlines. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. And if you're digging what you're hearing here on the Print Design Podcast, let us know by leaving a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this bad boy. And uh, that would be swell and appreciated. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you next week.